2: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Hi, welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The rally as stocks go for their eighth straight week of gains. The Investment Committee debating now how best to play the markets. Joining me for the hour, everybody here at Post 9, Joe Terranova, Liz Young, Jason Snipe, And Steve Weiss, take a look at the major averages. We are in the green across the board. Somewhat muted gains. S&P, though, up one half of one percent, two percent or so away from its new all-time high. Got yields, ten years at 3.95. Liz Young, I think we come into this week uh, sort of asking the same kinds of questions we asked at the end of last. As you you know, build on these seven straight weeks of gains, going now for eight. We're going to get cash coming in Mm -hmm. to extend the rally. And if so, where's it gonna come from? From money markets, from some of the winners, going into the laggards, all the above, What's what's your sense?
3: Well, I think rates probably have to come down a little bit more before cash is going to come out of money markets. You're still getting above 5% in a lot of those, and that's pretty attractive given where things are. So I think we probably need to see that fall a little further. Right now, the rotation play is still very much intact in the sense of the big winners of 2023 rotating into the laggards. You've got small caps really looking quite attractive, compelling. The momentum in them is really compelling, and I think that's a good thing. And the breadth in this rally has been astonishing, frankly. And and the velocity of the breath and the expansion of it has been really nice, the strongest that we've seen in 2023. However, I do think that because it happened so quickly, it's probably natural to give a little bit back, have a little bit of a sigh of relief on the other side of it. But that doesn't mean that it has to be some catastrophic drawdown.
2: Yeah. Weiss, I feel like we've gotten, you know, pivot is the the term of the last week, Uh, obviously post-Powell. Uh, That's what many suggested that the Fed chair did and the Fed itself pivoted. Um, I feel like we got a little bit of, of one today from Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson, who says, quote, with Powell not pushing back on the easing in financial conditions, equities appear to have the green light to ramp higher. We could be entering a sweet spot that supports this rotation if nominal growth accelerates. He's talking about a rotation, small caps, cyclicals, lower quality stocks could be the beneficiaries, much like Liz was talking about the rotation that that she's seen as well. Uh, What do you make of that?
4: Yeah, it was kind of interesting. I read that note as well. And uh, it does seem like a pivot by Mike. So look, he's a good thinker. And... uh, some would argue that it was stubborn for a long time. But really, the rotation, the brunting of the market only occurred in the last couple of months, really in November. So I don't know how much he overstated his welcome. The pivot, I'd say, was a more aggressive pivot by, by the market than by Powell. And since then, we've had, in succession, you know, whether it's Austin Goolsbee today or on Friday, The Fed has come out, the FOMC members have come out and tried to throw cold water on market expectations for an easing as soon as March. Nonetheless, the market continues to act strong and it doesn't matter Right now, when they ease, all that, because the market will discount that, all that matters is that the table is set for them easing. So you can, you can say, hey, it's going to be March, it could be June, it could be September. It just doesn't matter. point is the tightening is over and that the easing is going to begin. What does matter, however, is what the next quarterly earnings are and company guidance. And that will be the big question. I still think it may be muted, but what I don't know, and I said this on Friday when I called in, is will the market see through it? Everything about the market in the last three years tells you that they will see through it. So you could see actually valuations continue to increase, and by that, that would happen if earnings don't follow suit. Yeah, how about this,
2: Jason Snipe? David Costin, Goldman Sachs, raises his 12-month target for the S&P? And significantly so to 5,100 from 47, decelerating inflation, Fed easing, real yields low, support P.E. multiples greater than 19 times, encouraging economic data, upside risks existing to our already above consensus EPS estimates of 5% growth. So that goes right to where Weiss is talking about. Um, There's a lot of optimism now about the economy,
1: about earnings, multiples being supported. What do you think? Yeah. So, I mean, clearly, I mean, I, I agree with Weiss and from the, the fact that, um, you know, we, we absolutely, for example, the Fed dot plot, you know, is now, well, the market is now pricing in 150 basis points worth of hikes. You know, the, the dot plot's at 75 basis points. So we've, we've absolutely seen breadth in the market. Uh, Financials are doing well over the last month. Industrials are doing well over the last month. The RSP, the equal weight is up 8% in the last month. Um, So there is a lot of optimism going forward. And if yields continue to flow down and inflation continues to moderate, the soft landing drum continues to beat higher. That's why I think there's some excitement. But I will say on, on the other end of it, it's been a lot really quickly. We've moved a lot in, in the last few weeks and clearly there's, there's a shift in market sentiment and tone, um, which I think for me, I, the, most ex, the most exciting part of the market for me is obviously the breadth, but I still think growth can still play a role in 2024. How about this, Joe, to Jason's point, financials are up 7% as a group
2: over the past month, industrial seven, consumer discretionary seven and two thirds, materials up six, those have been uh, substantial moves to point to the broadening that we've seen, um, that it's not just tech. Uh, in fact, com services has lagged uh, and technology has lagged as well, and by a reasonably substantial amount.
5: And there's $6 trillion sitting in money market
2: yeah, funds. Yeah, sitting in cash.
5: $6 trillion sitting in money market funds when we have had over the last 90 days probably the most significant reversal in sentiment that I could remember since 2020 for sure. Um, that reversal in sentiment is certainly going to be the catalyst for a lot of money managers, active and passive, exploring for opportunities in the market. So they're gonna go to all the places that you're talking about. They're gonna look for where did the market underperform in 2023 as we had this narrow, concentrated performance on the magnificent seven. And I don't see how, I don't see how you defeat that positive sentiment just because the calendar turns into 2024, which is what a lot of people are suggesting. So I think you have to be on the offensive as we go into 2024. You get earnings, though,
2: right? I mean, that's kind of the the one thing that's in front of you now, to Weiss's point. You've gotten Powell and company out of the way. You know, yeah, you'll get more inflation
5: reads and everything else. But the big event of January is going to be earnings. Granted, without question, that earnings are the big event and earnings can moderate some of the positive sentiment in the in the marketplace but there's not much else that can do it and i actually think of the final days of december where a lot of people are going to say okay looks like the year's over we've seen much of the games keep your eye on energy because you have a situation right now in the red sea bp pausing shipments we know logistically if you have to uh, go around." Africa instead of going through the Red Sea. We know the delays on cargos. That's what that's going to mean. And you're finally seeing the fundamental effect of what has gone on between Israel and Hamas. Watch energy in the final weeks. There might be still one trade left in the year. You got, you know, which
2: I thought that was really interesting, this headline from The Wall Street Journal today, Liz, more Americans than ever owning stocks. Mm -hmm. Pandemic, zero commission trading created a, in their words, created a whole generation of investors. I wonder how the events of the last few years for this new generation impact their risk appetite in that, you know, for a while it looked like they only knew, this cohort only knew one direction for the market. Then, of course, the Fed starts doing what it's doing, and then you had a big drawdown, and now you're here uh, with a substantial rally again. I wonder how that impacts the psyche of this whole new generation of investors with all of this cash on the sidelines, too.
3: I think there's a lot of positive reinforcement going on. First of all, I think it's excellent that there are so many new investors in the market and that there is so much DIY investing going on, people being a lot more involved than they were 15 years ago. I think that's great. We've been trained to buy the dip. We've been trained that we will be saved from any material drawdown or any material dislocation that happens in the market outside of our control. And that is the part that's a little bit more concerning. And I think some of this, if, if people were new to investing, in 2020 and in 2021 what you've learned is that there's very concentrated pockets of the market that continue to drive things so there's probably not enough diversification in portfolios and the lesson that I hope that these investors would learn now is that diversification does work when things start to normalize we've got in November the 60-40 portfolio having its best month in a very long time mm-hmm. so hopefully that lesson is being heard and there are investors out there building positions that will work in different environments because this environment is not going to persist forever I do think it's still going to be driven by rates into January but this is not going to go on forever
2: which is why weiss you need to look beyond um, the most crowded areas of the market perhaps for where the opportunities are going to lie as as Barron's has done which they give their annual list of unloved stocks and yes there are names like alphabet on the list Uh, which is obviously heavily owned and has had a a, a great year. You own that. But there's Barrick Gold and Berkshire and BioNTech and Chevron, Hertz. Madison Square Garden is a a, a longtime favorite of value investors. John Rogers, Mario Cabelli, the list goes on and on. PepsiCo and and U-Haul, for example. What do you think of this list?
4: I I think it was kind of interesting. Uh, Let's focus on a couple of obvious ones. Berkshire. I don't think we know what happens. Uh, Now, ultimately, um, Warren Buffett won't be around, right? He's he's getting up there. What happens after it? So is the story a breakup story? We still don't really have a good feel for a successor. We know who he's talked about, but do you want to own that if Warren Buffett's not around? So the analysis on, on Berkshire to this point has been on Warren Buffett. So I thought that was kind of interesting to put that on the list. Some of the others, BioNTech, I mean, that's... Um, I think that's kind of dangerous. I know the company, don't forget they were Pfizer's partner. They have a pipeline, but so do so many others. I'd much rather buy the biotech indexes. Will they underperform four years in a row? It was unprecedented that they would underperform two years in a row, and now we're going to go into year four. So I think that's a reasonable bet. As far as some of the others, I think they just tried too hard to be different. Pepsi's a permanent compounder. Ozempic, the Ozempic fears haven't panned out. They had a really good quarter. So you could find stuff there. Chevron again, you know, so, so look, I think- But that's I think- right. you would, what you sure. just
2: said, though, is an interesting way to think about this market. Right. Because in many respects, it's going to take trying a little harder to be Without different, it, it, to right? Be different. Because this year right. was was easy to be the same. Everybody right. pile into mega cap and just watch the balances go up if you happen to be in the right stocks, right? right.
4: But I don't only think, uh, I, uh, sure, some of that was momentum, some of it was chasing, some of it was the new generation of investors. That's what they know. That's the names that they're familiar with, so they have no problem going into that. Are they going to be familiar with BioNTech? No. No, but
2: maybe it's time to do some work. Right,
4: it it is. It's time to get to work. It is, but the the amount of money that's coming in and where the new money's coming from, they're not doing the work. Plain and simple, they're not professional investors, and what's going to come in from the sideline. Is is you know home gamers? It's not going to be ones that are saying, "Hey, let's go, let's go do some work in these unknown names." I mean, l- the let's, me- be- let's be the honest with ourselves too.
2: I mean, right. the, the you know some of the alleged smartest money in the room hasn't right. you know they've done work. Yeah, uh, it hasn't always been the greatest work. So
4: maybe sure. I mean, they need to go do some work, that's why too, You need a portfolio on but some I, of these other but, names. But there's <laughs> nothing wrong, in my view. You don't have to run for Meta or Microsoft. Sure, there would be some volatility. I just don't see big money coming out of them because guess what? They still have the best fundamentals, still have the best balance sheet,
5: still have the best growth, still have the best cash flow. So why run from them? It's an interesting listen. What's interesting to me is that Steve didn't mention one of the stocks that I know he's traded actively in the last several years, and that's BABA. And if you think about it, and probably the reason that Steve's not mentioning it is the reason that I wouldn't buy BABA, because you're concerned about what's going to go on in China. But the reality is, this is a ridiculously cheap company. This is a company with $60 billion worth of cash sitting on its balance sheet. So if you could get past what ultimately may or may not unfold in China, and China might have, China might be the one area of the world that has the most significant comeback in 2024. The stock was 121,
2: the 52-week range is 121 and where it is is now at seventy
4: four, yeah. and if you look at its peak, I mean, it's it's just crazy. You know, I shorted the stock at two fifty six. I covered way too early, and then I went long. The China risk is too great. I've got enough China risk in Taiwan Semi, even though it's a Taiwanese company. They've got major facilities in China. As strange as that sounds, so that's enough China risk. I don't know that. Sure, it looks cheap by U.S. standards, but does it look cheap by Chinese standards when you can wake up one day and your whole senior management
5: team has disappeared? I completely agree with and you. And that's been nationalized. I, I, I agree with you, but, but I, I, I don't think we could dismiss the potential that China has agreed. a recovery at some point. Agreed. in the, yeah, it, And if China has a recovery, this is the one stock that you know that's going to lead the charge higher. No, agreed.
2: Well, Jason Snipe, what, yeah. what about, I mean, so Chevron, you're Chevron, yep. I mean, you have Alphabet too, but Chevron's on the list. Yep. Uh, you're taking a look at Berkshire and BioNTech?
1: So I think, one, I mean, I, again, I think the the mixture of stocks is obviously very interesting. I mean, there these are there's a lot of laggers in here. There's a lot of names that haven't done so well. Even if I think about well, that's why I call it unloved. Right, <laughs> right, completely unloved. Um, but to Steve's point on on biotech as as a broader base, biotech clearly has underperformed over the last several years. Um, so I could I could see a, a, a name like Biotech or even other names like Adv that we own, where there might be some earnings accretion going forward. Um, that there might be there might be an opportunity to get there. Um, you know, and, and Berkshire Hathaway is a, is another name that we like. It's it's a name that we've looked at. Energy obviously hasn't done well. Earnings and earnings haven't been great. Chevron I think is is a stalwart in this. Space and I think is also prime for opportunity. So I think, from a broader perspective, you have to be diversified going to. I mean, it's interesting, Weiss, to hear you. I'm not saying you know,
2: question the the future at Berkshire. Not every succession plan is is perfect. Um, no. But if ever a table is going to be set for you to sit down and eat well, you would imagine that this would be w- one of doubt. those scenarios. And look at the holdings, where they are yep. right now. Um, you must be comfortable as an investor, not you specifically, but the general investor, saying, "Okay, um, Apple's the biggest holding, you know, the oxy position that they've had, Paramount's still hanging on for obviously
4: some sort of um, event, I guess. Yeah, look, succession's not sneaking up on them, right? Buffett talks about repeatedly, and he's, he's an expert in governance, so he knows you have to have succession in place. That's not my point. My point is a lot of people own this for Buffett. And if Buffett's not there, is it just a proxy for the S&P? So why not own the S&P? Now, the comeback could be, well, maybe they divest. Maybe Burlington Northern, they, you know, they IPO it. And then you benefit that way or maybe some of the other stuff or maybe they booked the gains from Apple. Those would be taxable gains. So maybe you just said just want to own the S&P. So, so. since we
2: mentioned Alphabet on this list, yep. um, mm-hmm. Tony Sakanaki raises what he calls the 19 trillion dollar question today. What to do with tech in 24? He says market weighted. Market weight tech entering 2024. Investors tilt the barbell to smaller mid cap. Uh, and more value-oriented names from from some of the winners. How does that sound to you?
3: I mean, market weight is still a pretty big weight, first of all, right? We have to keep that in mind. So you're, you've still got a big slug in tech, if that's the case. I think that's probably okay. One of the things about this Barron's List, first of all, I, I think it's interesting that there are really no financials on it. There are no banks on it. And something maybe more for the newer investors, but for every investor, just because an asset class hasn't done well for a long time doesn't mean it's due to do well. It still has to have fundamental backing. It still has to make sense fundamentally. So don't fall for the idea that just because value's been out of favor, it suddenly has to come back into favor because it's been a long time. Well said. But the thing about the diversification piece of it too, I do think that small caps are an okay place to be in 2024 but keep in mind they've had a huge run in the last month or so you never want to chase it right at the top and i think there's something about the fomo trade obviously that's sucking a lot of people in if you're going to buy some of this stuff that's doing well or that has seen a really strong run in the last couple months be prepared to hold it even after it does a sigh of relief in the beginning of the year
5: I want to be clear, on December 18th of 2023, the nightmare scenario for an active manager in 2024 is that we're sitting here one year for today, and you have, again, a second consecutive year of significant outperformance from the Magnificent Seven, because nobody is going to position for that in 2024. No one is gonna concentrate in that direction after the type of price appreciation that we've seen in 2023. Does the possibility exist that that could happen again? Yes, unequivocally, that can happen again. But I think what it speaks to is the fact that so many people at the beginning of the year believe that there's gonna be this significant sell-off in the Magnificent Seven. There might be relative to other areas in the market, but if you have positioning in the Magnificent Seven, you have to maintain your positioning, and it's just the degree in which you have that ownership. It's not I'm either in them or I'm out of them because if you go out of them once again, boy, you're putting yourself in the same position that you put yourself in one year ago and it didn't feel good. To your point,
2: these are the stocks that continue to hit new highs, like Amazon, Jason Snipe, today. New 52 week high, top 2024 pick, 195 is the target from Mahaney over at Evercore ISI.
1: Yeah. Yeah and I mean to Joe, to to comment on what Joe just said to your point everyone was offside well let me not say everyone a lot of people were offside as related to tech at the beginning of this year Right, so I, I totally get what you're saying. Um, as it relates to Amazon, I mean, operating leverage has been the story this year. I mean, this also has been the year of efficiency for a lot of the tech names. You know, Jassy is now fully in throttle in the seat. Um, AWS reacceleration there. I think there there's a there's also a good focus on the e, the e-commerce business that's starting to strengthen again, um, and the the application of the cloud business. So I, I and AI, right? So I, I continue to like um, Amazon. I think there's some- far more stories for the integration of AI and and growth acceleration for them, period.
2: Be careful, too, um, how you view, it kind of goes to what Joe's talking about, how you view performance from one mega cap name over one period of time and suggest it's a tell on where things are going to go. Hello, Meta. Meta had its worst year ever in 2022. It's about to put in its best year ever in 2023. Weiss, your stock.
4: Yeah, as is Amazon and, and Microsoft look the, the, um, the biggest concern on these stocks continues to be regulators, not only in the u s but also in europe and europe 's actually been more effective at extracting penalties and fines and 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 nobody yet has been able to restructure their businesses so what 's always haunting is this going to be the year that they do that now with meta what 's kind of interesting is and perhaps all these the sum, the sum is not worth as much as the parts. So you can break them up. So that's what's going to keep people investing in these regardless. Now you can ask yourself, is that true with Amazon? And I do, because you've got AWS, which is a monster, but you don't really have the profitability in the retail business. Nonetheless, I continue on it because I don't I think the regulators will fail again and it's gonna take years, even if they get a positive decision. It's going to be appealed and appealed and appealed. So I do think you'll still get performance there. You've got these valuation paradigms. You could say that Amazon is too expensive, but it's always been too expensive. Like Chipotle, it's always been too expensive. Like Costco, it's been too expensive for years, so it doesn't matter. You know what else
2: is amazing, too, is that these stocks have had incredible performance. They're not coming into a new year uh, all fat and happy. No. They're coming in thin and happier. I mean, they've they've right-sized themselves. Meta doesn't have the year that it just did without the year of efficiency. Amazon's had its own year of efficiency. These other mega cap tech companies have already gone through it. Yeah. So if you're worried about, well, the stocks are bloated, the companies are bloated, the ranks are bloated, we're going to need to fix that to continue the thing. They've already gone through
4: it.
5: And the yeah. vanity projects are out the window. You know They're not doing those anymore. But going back to 2022, I mean, that, that's why I believe a lot of industries had a hard landing already in technology and the mega caps experience. Remember in 2022 what we were talking about? We were talking about the reduction of headcount. That was the headline mm-hmm. breaking on all of these companies from day to day. So I, I agree. I think they're set up well going into 2024. Uh, the other day, Scott, you asked what sector... I believed could surprise markets i still think it's communication services because i think there's this aspect uh, of the financial services community that you know there's doubt that you could see the degree of performance you saw in 2023 but i think when you look at 2024 communication services is still okay you have a presidential election you have the olympics coming and you can't tell me that in that environment, Alphabet and Meta are not going to benefit from significant ad spending. Give me one more stock before we,
2: we take a break uh, from from tech, one that we it probably doesn't get the due um, that it deserves because it's been overshadowed, Jason Snipe, by yeah. the the other magnificent names in the group. And Netflix is up 65% hmm. yeah. year to date. Price target goes to five fifty today from four seventy-five at Morgan Stanley, which reiterates overweight on that stock.
1: Yeah, listen, it's been a, it's been a great performer this year um, you know and it, there's a couple of things I think one is password sharing uh, crackdown um, you know just them introducing that idea I think is, has played out um, it hasn't gone as well as expected and I think that will follow through into 2024 they also have a great content lab library so they have they've done a lot of the investing that they the capital spend on it last year um, and they're building their free cash flow right so I think they have, absolutely separated themselves from the other players in the space and that's why we continue like that. all right so let's uh we do have a couple
2: moves coming up in, in a little bit as well uh so we're gonna keep you on the hook for that up next calls of the day downgrade for a cybersecurity stock it's seen its shares more than double this year we do have ownership on the desk we're back in just two minutes Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more.
3: What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones.
2: Let's do some calls of the day now. We're going to start with Palo Alto. Their shares uh, up marginally. Uh, Not up marginally, though, over a a longer period of time. Palo Alto, Jason, downgrades one of your core holdings um, today. Shares are up better than 100% year to date. Okay? Uh, They downgrade to market perform from outperform. They take away the $260 price target. So what do we think about this call? Is it it time to catch your breath yeah.
1: as they suggest you should in, in this call? So for me, Scott, this is like, this is really a risk management call. I mean, this is like a trimming call. There, there, there's no disruption to the theme here. I think yeah. cybersecurity is still very important. Um, listen, a couple quarters, it's only recently become profitable only a couple quarters ago, right? So um, gone are the days of 80% EPS growth, um, but, Guess what, this past quarter was 66% EPS growth and 20% revenue growth. So this is a trimming call, I, you know, I don't, I don't read in too much of it. Um, and even for us, it's been a huge winner, 120% this year. Oh, so. for sure. But they, they just
2: suggest that the risk reward is, is just becoming less favorable. Right. I mean, who can blame them for saying that, right? right. I mean, you, you have a $260 price target on the stock, you get it blown past, it's at 308. Right. Um, now, there are a lot of stocks in this market Especially within this universe, that
1: you could make the same kinds of calls about. Agreed. They choose this one. Agreed. And, I, you know, again, when, it, when a stock moves this much, this far, uh, and again, it's, it's somewhat of a fragmented space. There's other players, CrowdStrike, I know, Joe, you own it, and there's other names in this place that I think have done well. Um, for me, I, I'm, I'm neutral on this call. I think I think it makes sense, relatively speaking. Um, you know, but but again, I don't I don't think there's any disruption to the broader theme. You know, I'm, I'm still very invested in it. In it. Joe? Just because I'm long doesn't mean I have to disagree with this call. They're, 100,
5: they're 100% correct. Right. They're correct. Right. The value, the, this the value. is not a hating on no. a right. call. I mean, it's just an acknowledgment of where we are. It's, correct. It, absolutely. I mean, both CrowdStrike and Palo Alto, they're literally just going a staircase higher and higher and it's sooner or later, you're going to see a pullback and the pullback's gonna come and it might, they might be correct, the pullback might be here based on what they're seeing in valuation. Um, Cybersecurity, as I've said on the air, is a a thesis that I believe is not just something you want to invest in from a cyclical standpoint, but from a secular standpoint. That's why I own CrowdStrike. That's why I own Palo Alto. If in fact you want to move out of Palo Alto, I would encourage everyone to take a look at Fortinet. Fortinet has significantly underperformed. They've tripped all over themselves in 2023. They still have a good balance sheet. You want to reallocate capital based on valuation, Go from Palo Alto into Fort Jeanette.
2: All right, there's a call in the financials too. I, I do want to get your broad take first, Liz, before we go to the ownership here. City and JPM upgraded at Daiwa Securities. Uh, see upside for bank stocks in 24. They rate, they lift their rating to positive. City goes to buy, JPM goes to buy. I know you can't comment on the stocks specifically, but the group you can.
3: Yes. Uh, You know, I actually am pretty positive about banks in 2024, but I want to be very clear. Anything that, that I'll say about small caps and banks and some of the other cyclical sectors, that's probably after we do have some type of a drawdown. I'm not saying it has to be big, but there probably is a little bit of a give back, and a lot of these sectors have done very well very quickly. But if you look at the bank trade, the big banks in 2023 benefited a lot, obviously, from the stress that regional banks were under. I still believe that the regional bank issue is not solved i think it got saved but there's still some bumps in the road that are coming i believe we've got that bank term funding program that it's supposed to expire in march who knows what that holds for the sector so i think big banks probably a better bet also this revival in capital markets activity is promising if we manage to come out of a yield curve inversion on the other side of that Good for banks maybe painful on the way there but on the other side of that that could be good for banks as well
2: why so as it relates to this specific call which I said they they lift city to buy from neutral I have a note here that says if you ever want to own city now's the time Jane Fraser making some tough decisions I'm positively inclined
4: yeah so I mean, you own Bank of America and Goldman yeah. does
2: that sound like you're about
4: to get into city yeah I've got to do some work on it um, You know, I've heard her speak uh, a couple of times at much smaller events and uh, found her to be very impressive. And she spent her time, taking her time, saying, what needs to be done to get a valuation that's at least comparable to my peers? And I think she believes she took those steps. So, uh, you know, I've I've known the head of banking there, Tyler Dixon, who's one of the best on the street for years, used to work with him, Uh, and he's picked up more responsibility, so I like that. And, yeah. As, I, as you repeated in the note uh, that I said, so if you want to own it and you want to make a bet, now's the time because your downside is still relatively low and your upside could be significant.
5: You have JPM. I Joe. do, and, and at the beginning of the show, you, you know, you, you countered my remarks on optimism and being on the offensive with mentioning earnings are coming up, and that potentially could be where the market runs into a challenge. And the financial sector, to me, is the one sector that completely confirms your suspicion and the one area of the market in which you really have to see that the sector is able to come through with strong earnings because I don't know that you're going to get that from financials in the upcoming quarter you've heard so many city talk about trading revenue on the decline we know the earnings expectation for 24 doesn't look good for financials themselves they really have to prove themselves I would tread lightly with financials well, as you're moving well, look, right, so look, so look look at the, oh,
2: by the way look at this chart that we have up on the screen I mean it was it was a brutally tough year yeah. for this space until it woke up with the rest of the 493 non mega cap stocks mega cap tech names in november as you as you see on on here look at the ramp to get you to nine percent which is still you know significantly trailing the s p yeah but it would look a whole lot different if you stopped it at the in october
4: and two reasons for that i think as the market broadened out investors were looking for what hasn't moved financials being one of them, number one. And number two, if you're getting this broad rally, that means the IPO window. And if you're getting rates coming down, the M&A window, the highest margin businesses at the banks are going to be coming back into the forefront and the pipelines are tremendous. So if markets stay at this level and if rates continue to go down, they should do quite well next year, and that's where the focus may be, rather than the loan books, which I believe aren't gonna show much of anything, no. and credit quality is actually gonna show it's worsening. No. Let's uh, get the headlines now with Pippa Stevens. Hey, Pippa.
6: Hey, Scott, Israel's defense minister said today that the military will transition to what he calls the next phase of operations in Gaza, when Palestinians may be able to return to the north of the territory. The comments made in a joint news conference with Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. He and CIA Director William Burns say they are in the region to discuss more humanitarian pauses and to reiterate the need to protect civilians. The European Union officially opening an investigation into Elon Musk's X platform. Regulators say the probe is in response to breaches of its duties to counter illegal content and disinformation. It's the first such investigation under the new Digital Services Act. The company said in a statement that it's committed to compliance and is cooperating with investigators. And a milestone in Paris today for the restoration of the Notre Dame Cathedral as a crane placed a new copper rooster on top of the cathedral's spire. The original was damaged in the 2019 fire, with construction on the spire almost complete. Planners say Notre Dame should fully reopen within the next 12 months. Scott, back to you.
2: All right, Pippa, appreciate that. Thank you, Pippa Stevens. Straight ahead, we're gonna talk about the surge in semis, one of the hottest trades of the year. Now, our Christina Partinevelos is gonna join us. She's following the money there, and the committee is debating the best plays moving forward. We're back right after this. Welcome back. Chips are one of the hottest trades of the year. The sector's up 70 percent year to date. Our Christina Parsinevelos is following that money. Joins us now for the Nasdaq hot trade. Tell us why.
0: Oh, because we have so many investors that have been trying to capitalize on this trade just over the last three months or so. For example, over the last three months, the Sox, as we know it, out- has outperformed both the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq even though performance around earnings has been relatively mixed. So let's say, let's start with some companies like Intel, AMD, Qualcomm. They are starting to see signs of a bottom and normalization with PCs and smartphones. That's contributed to Intel up 72% year to date. And then you've got the second theme, AI, a huge driver helping names we know it, like Nvidia, which many argue right now is trading at a discount. And then Broadcom, both of these named top picks for Bernstein. Broadcom specifically still has room to benefit from the recent VMware acquisition and that's why that stock is up about 22% just month-to-date alone, and then other Cyclical uh, issues within chips. You have other companies like Texas Instruments that continue to wrestle with industrial inventory corrections. That stock is up only less than eight percent year to date. And then we're starting to see, starting, starting to see d- uh, cracks in demand within auto, and that's hitting names like NXPi or on Semi. And on Semi specifically is still twenty-five percent off its most recent fifty-two week high. So that's one of the worst out of all the chip names. So as Bernstein put it this morning, the chip market is asynchronous. Not all chip cycles are the same and shouldn't be treated as such when picking semis for your portfolio. And so I just laid out some of those cycles for you, Scott.
2: Yeah, I do have, you know, some notes like, you know, Jonathan Krinsky, BTIG, who who note the, the gains that you've just referenced and says it feels more like a blow off top uh, to us in that space. And um, I'm curious. How, how you view that kind of commentary. I don't know if, you know, others you're, you're reading or hearing from suggest that maybe this is like a little too much at this point.
0: Oh, very much so, especially when you talk about just the run up in the last three months. That's the major concern heading into 2024. You've the argument from some uh, investors and others is just that the valuations have been pushed to the max. The stocks have all run up. So where are we going to go in 2024? Is AI sustainable? Is the AI PC really going to drive names like Intel and AMD in the next three months? Are we going to see auto really bottom? Is that going to hit names like ON and NXPI? So there's a lot of concerns given the expectations have risen. Estimates have also increased too, further adding to that optimism in early 2024. So I think there's still a lot of uh, concern in the next two months or so.
2: All right. Yeah, Christina, thanks so much. I appreciate that. Christina Partinevola setting the table for us perfectly there. So what do we think, Joe, about this? you know, Christina documents these incredible runs we've had in some of these stocks, not all, as you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, Does this feel like a blow off? No, it doesn't. To you like it does to Krinsky?
5: No, I I don't think it does. And I I think there's just so much fundamentally there in terms of pure earnings growth driven by the innovation of generative AI. I also think investors need to give consideration that in 2024, I think M&A, is going to increase, and I would not be surprised to see a mega-cap company go out and make a significant semi-acquisition. Mm. Weiss, what
2: about you? Uh, there's year-to-date SMH up 70%. You got Taiwan Semi, by the way.
4: I do, and that benefits from AI, it, it benefits for everybody. You're building, Microsoft's building a chip, guess who's doing it? Taiwan Semi, NVIDIA, et cetera, et cetera. I think they've run too far too fast,
1: so I'm gonna wait in the sidelines. All right, Jason Snipe, yeah, I NVIDIA. Think for- yeah, obviously, NVIDIA is always a story, right? But I'm going to actually talk about Qualcomm for a quick second because I think Christina makes out some really important points. PCs are bottoming. Handsets are absolutely bottoming. Um, Qualcomm's up 28% year-to-date. 25% of that run has happened in the last three months. You know, So I, I, I like that name going into next year because um, I think there's earnings ahead. All right, up next, we're tracking the trades. We do have
2: new moves from Jason Snipe and Steve Weiss. We'll do them after this. All right, let's do these investment committee moves today. Jason Snipe, yep. you bought into it. I did. Nobody wants to think about tax or anything like that. Why'd you buy Why'd you buy into it?
1: <laughs> yeah. So, listen, I mean, it's, it's had a really strong year this year. It's up mm-hmm. 58%. Um, generally, you're not buying stocks that have been high flyers, right? Um, hey, look, I mean, Joe, buy high, sell higher, right? Have yeah. <laughs> you ever read that book? <laughs> yeah. Did you read that book? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I've, I've got a few copies for <laughs> it if you need all all right. it. I'll talk to you later. I'm going to order some on Amazon for you. <laughs> yeah, right.
1: There's none left. I bought right. them um, all. <laughs> <probably right>. did. <laughs> all right. I'm but, sorry. Both, I digress. Go ahead. Right. Um, I do think, you know, obviously they cater to the small business. I think Credit Karma has, has been an acquisition that they made a couple of years ago and it obviously has struggled this year but I think their earnings growth is on the resurgence coming into next year which I think will be accretive to the stock going forward and I think there's a, some some upside maybe another 10 to
2: 15%. Yeah, look at that one. Uh, it's a pretty nice looking chart up about 58% year to date uh, for INTU. All right, Steve Weiss, you bought more Freeport.
4: I did. What's up with I that? Do. Well look, copper is it's had a decent move of last month, it's up about three percent, but still it's it's down it's down on the lows. So I just think there's a lot of upside. So for me it's also a hedge in case I'm wrong about the economy. I think it'll do quite well. It's actually the commodity that I most favor because of the lack of capacity coming on. And there's no real look to any major capacity coming on in the future. So that's why. Okay.
5: Joe, you own Freeport already. I do. It's been a decent position. Um momentum is clearly in place and it's been somewhat surprising because copper prices have obviously struggled the fundamentals just aren't in play so maybe the benefit is the gold aspect there with Freeport-McMoran because there is a gold element to the stock itself
2: Okay, coming up, the near $15 billion deal for U.S. Steel by Japan's Nippon shares are sharply higher it's not the only stock moving in that space you see that one down at the bottom there, Cleveland Cliffs it's up for a deal they didn't do Farmer Jim joins us next. For steel stocks are moving sharply today on news us steel being acquired by japan's nippon steel for 55 dollars a share that's a significant premium to the 33 dollars a share cleveland cliffs offered back in august jim labenthal joins us now with what it all means for cliff shares moving forward jimmy um i think you wanted this deal to happen i think i mean the cliffs deal i think you thought that cliffs was going to make the deal happen but you're being rewarded nonetheless because it didn't happen
8: I think it would have been a really cool deal i mean this would have been not just an american juggernaut steel space but on the world stage it would have been at the top 10 uh, as a combined company but you know we are where we are nippon steel made an offer that was accepted by the way there's hair on this deal the union's not on board and we'll see how antitrust deals with it so you know i spoke to lorenzo gonzalez this morning he's what he's happy about the most is that his offer that he made in August re-rated the entire sector. I mean, all the steel stocks are up, and I'd say it's a lot having to do with Cleveland Cliffs having made the offer. Um, you know that I think highly of the stock, and even though it's up really nicely this year, and frankly, it's beaten the S&P 500 over three in five-year periods. I've held it for five years. There is a lot more to come. Uh, you know, in the press release that they put out after the announcement today, they very graciously congratulated both U.S. Steel and Nippon Steel. And then they said what they're going to do with the cash. They're going to buy back shares. Scott, at the end of the day, this company generates cash in oodles, oodles of cash. Uh, they've paid down net debt just over the last six months, from 3.9 to 3 billion. Their enterprise value is 12 a half billion. There's only one thing to do with the cash, buy back shares until another opportunity comes up.
2: God, for a minute there, I thought you were describing General Motors. <laughs> Silly me. Uh, do they need to do something why? else? Tell me why. Tell me <laughs> well, why. Because that last part sounded exactly what you say about General Motors. They're buying back shares. They're paying down debt. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, do they need to do something now that U.S. Steel's done something else?
8: Um, I don't think so, uh, because on their own, they're incredibly profitable. I mean, they traded eight times estimates for next year's free cash flow. Their enterprise value to EBITDA is at seven. Uh, and I think those estimates for next year are missing the fact that hot rolled hot roll coil prices have been accelerating over the past few months. So those estimates are likely to go higher, particularly in the soft landing scenario. Now, I'll answer your question, though, a slightly different way. I think you know, Lorenzo, and you know this is a guy who's not going to put his feet up on the ottoman i met him
2: once i don't really know him i mean you talked well, to him this morning you know him i met him once his, down his
8: here. public image is his public image is not far from his private image and this is a mover and shaker this is a guy who is not content being in in a smaller company than anyone else so i think what he does is he just sits back and let me be clear he didn't say anything about what's to come i'm not trading on you know, non-public information here. But this is a guy who's not content to sit back and watch things happen. He's going to look for another deal. And until that happens, he's going to buy back shares.
2: Jimmy, I appreciate it very much. I got to bounce. We'll see you soon. Jim Labenthal on that deal today. Final trades are next. Hope you'll join me. Three o'clock. Closing bell. Today we have Adam Parker, Shannon Sakosha, and Tony Pasquarello, Goldman Sachs, one of the most influential notes on the street. He is the head of hedge fund client coverage at GS, so he'll join us here at Post 9. Final Trades, Liz Young, your first.
3: Very exciting six-month T-bill. I think it's only a matter of time until the shorter end of the curve starts to think rate cuts are coming.
4: Okay. Mr. Weiss. I'm going with Taiwan Semi. Uh, Look, it's way underperform the SMH. I don't think that should be the case. So I'd like it. I'd
1: add to it here. Okay, Jason Knight. AXP TNE spending is up 13% year over year. I like this one. All right, Joe T. Marathon Petroleum up 33% year to date. More to
2: come. All righty. I'll see you on closing bell at three o'clock. The exchange begins now. You've been listening to CNBC's halftime report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern only on CNBC.
3: completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit CNBC.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer.
7: Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. Next, don't give it to you. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience.
8: Wind and
7: that that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? let go Give it you. Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at
2: Accurate.com.